welcome to Base Camp for Men. I'm your host, Tony Rezac. This is a show that gives you insights and resources on how to live a more courageous life. We'll be looking at men, the current state of masculinity, and how to create a more inspiring narrative for all men. Welcome and let's get started. The topic of mental health and better self-care for men is one that is near and dear to me. Seven out of ten suicides are by men. Many are middle-aged who can so easily arrive at a sort of quiet desperation. Most men, if they are paying attention, will arrive at a sort of dark night of the soul, a time in their lives when everything seems to fall apart. This is mythical and archetypal and part of any authentically lived life. It takes a particular courage to descend, for descending feels terrifying. It feels like you're not in control anymore, and you are not. Larger forces are at work, testing the hero. Yet every hero's journey has a descent before redemption and ascension and return to the village. This is true on a macro level for humanity and the planet, as well as on a micro level, your life. This episode is dedicated to the brave souls who have experienced this dark night of the soul, both the ones that made it back to us and the ones that did not. And my guest today is someone who made it back and is sharing his wisdom, humor, and insights so that others may recognize their own path back to health and life. Frank King is a suicide prevention speaker and trainer and was a writer for The Tonight Show for 20 years. He's fought a lifelong battle with major depressive disorder and chronic suicidality, something that runs in his family. He turned this dark night of the soul into five TEDx talks and shares his life-saving insights on mental health awareness with associations, corporations, and colleges. A motivational public speaker, he believes that where there is humor, there is hope. Where there is laughter, there is life, and that nobody dies laughing. The right person at the right time with the right information can save a life. Here is my interview with Frank King. Okay, I'm here with Frank King. Writer and comedian Frank King. Frank, welcome to Base Camp for Men. It's great to have you on the show. I'm happy to be here at Base Camp. Um, I'm looking forward to climbing Everest. I um, feel completely unprepared. I've got no oxygen. got a couple of chocolate bars, so I hear that helps with altitude sickness. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I mean, to start off, I mean, you wrote jokes for how many years for Jay Leno on The Tonight Show? 20. 20 years. I guess I just wanted to kick off with like, what was that like to actually go on and hear something you'd written in the monologue and have it be a regular basis? Probably, I'd imagine, right? Yeah, it was. Um, it was sort of like a lottery. You would send them in. I send in a dozen, two dozen jokes by fax back in the day when they were, you know, fax machines. Yep. And two nights later, while well, I recorded every night on VHS on the old VHS machine. Sure. And then I'd get up in the morning and pop in, you know, the VHS tape. And it's like the lottery. You're waiting for your number to come up. And you would hear him set up the joke, you know, with a premise. And because everybody was working from the same source material, the newspaper, what you're waiting for is, okay, there's the premise. Now, did he pick my joke, my punchline? Yep. Yep. And, and once or twice a week, uh, he would select, which means that my joke was better than everybody that was at NBC in the writer's room and everybody else who faxed in a joke. So, you know, it's, um, it was, it was a bit of a rush. And, and, and then we, I did that when he was permanent guest host Mm -hmm. and then he got the job and they let a lot of the contract labor go, but they kept me on and I had two jokes on his very first show. 
because mm. uh, I, I knew comics were lazy and there was a two-week break between Johnny Carson and Jay and I knew the comics were going to take most comics were going to take that week those two weeks off so I pumped in the jokes like crazy and I had two in the first monologue that's great did you did you have a, a process where you said okay I'm going to sit down and write uh for the next I'm going to think of jokes or did you just kind of like carry around a tab you know like something to write with in case you all of a sudden thought of something really funny uh, both. I would sit down in the newspaper yeah, and go over the stories in the newspaper looking for, it's kind of like there's a story about sculpting. Uh, a sculptor will tell you that, let's say you want to carve an elephant out of a rock, you know, some marble. You basically just knock everything off the slab of marble that doesn't look like an elephant. Right. And with, with comedy writing, you read the story in the newspaper and you just knock away everything that doesn't, you know, look like a joke. So I would input all the information I could from the newspaper mm -hmm. and then go back. And as I was going, if I saw something that I thought might be joke worthy or just, you know, my brain said, stop, highlight that. I would highlight that because apparently there was something, you know, didn't occur to me right away, but then I'd go back and, oh, there's the punchline. Yeah. 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 Someone wrote themselves. One of the two jokes that was in his first monologue, Dan Quayle said that Murphy Brown, it was a sitcom starring Candace Bergen, Yep. Murphy Brown having a child out of wedlock because on the show she had a child out of wedlock mocks the importance of fathers. And then Quayle said, "What would where would I have been without my dad? So there's the entire setup. And yep. my joke was, my guess, Vietnam. Yeah. <laughs> and that was one of the two jokes in his very that's first good. monologue. Yeah, I mean, it wrote itself practically. Yeah, that's great. And uh, the, the USA Today, and I haven't picked one up in years, but they used to have, they still do, I guess, color-coded sections. Uh, mm -hmm. Green was money. Sports was red. I think um, lifestyle, or whatever, was purple. Anyway, the red, the green section, the money section. Nobody ever wrote jokes from the financial pages of the USA Today. So I always go there and see if there wasn't something that I could, because I knew then I wasn't competing with everybody else for the same premise. Right, right. And that so makes I wrote, sense. I sold quite a few um, financial sort of jokes, and also, and I tell comics this today who want to write for late night. I would record Leno's monologue and then I would write down all the premises he chose and see if I could come up with another punchline. For example, um, Leno comes on and goes, yeah, you know, the uh, Swiss, um, uh, Swiss are now making uh, condoms. Uh, you really want to buy a condom from a country that makes cheese with holes in it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought there's got to be another joke. And so I sent in, uh, hey, uh, Swiss are making condoms now. I got a company making condoms. Uh, of course, you know, the Swiss, not just a condom it's a condom it's a corkscrew it's a knife it's a screwdriver <laughs> that's good that's really good yeah i love it i love it yeah so you knew he liked the premise yep yep and, and you knew there had to be another punchline there somewhere that's fantastic that's fantastic well i first got aware of you i saw that you had written uh you know a manual for men that had a very interesting premise it's called guts grit and the grind a mental mechanics manual and I took a look at it. It's so interesting because you guys took the approach of you, you made a sort of a parallel between a man uh, working on his car, keeping his car running real well. And then you just sort of took, a, you know, this kind of uh, self-help or, or self-care for men and applied some of the same metaphors and same principles. And I thought it was a really interesting uh, premise. And I thought it was brilliant in that it has the opportunity to reach 
you know, maybe a segment of men that would normally never see such a thing, you know, working class guys or guys that are just like, hey, I'm not into self-care, but, you know, uh, I think it's really great at showing the importance of self-care. Um, and, you know, as we know, men commit suicide um, at like four times the rate of women, I believe is the statistic. Um, and so I guess I want to just ask you, how did you come to get interested in you know, mental health for men? And how did you come to write the book and come up with such a great premise, actually? Well, actually, um, it's um, three times as many women attempt suicide. Men complete more often because they generally use uh, a gun. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and But eight out of 10 people who die in the U.S. of suicide right this minute are men, uh, generally age 45, 54 and Caucasian. Um, what happened was the two other, my co-authors, Dr. Sally Spencer Thomas, uh, who had a hand, by the way, in creating Man Therapy, mantherapy.com. Yep. That's part of that is her baby. Um, she and a therapist named Sarah Gare, who teaches suicide prevention to first responders. As Sarah mm -hmm. would say of herself, I specialize in men. Yep. As most were men. She wanted to give a book, a, a mental health book for men, occasionally to a student, you know, that she thought could benefit from it. Mm -hmm. And she went to Barnes & Noble and couldn't find any books specifically for men and mental health. And so she went to Amazon online and couldn't find any books that were, you know, specifically for men and all about mental health. So they got together and they called me and they said, Frank, look, um, we've got this idea and we want to know if you will make it funny and if you'll add the car metaphors. And I said, wait a minute, uh, let me get this straight. You two women are writing a book about men's mental health. Don't you think maybe, I don't know, you could use a man? Uh, I said, yeah. here's the deal. I'll add the metaphors. I'll add the humor, but I want to be a co-author and I want to voice the book for Audible. There you go. I've done the first one. It's up on Audible. I'm working on the second one. And and by the way, on Amazon, the first book is a bestseller in a couple of, couple of different categories. Uh, that happened just last week. So the we thought that if we made it look like an automobile owner's manual, that more likely a guy would actually pick it up and would not be embarrassed seeing reading it because, you know, the cover looks like there's some guy working on a guy's brain on, on the cover. Yeah, it's it's got some really funny stuff in there. I really appreciated it. I mean, and then you guys break it down. I like how you you continue with the car owner's manual. You, you have it broken down into preventive maintenance is one yep. section, troubleshooting, uh -huh. and then breakdown, repair, and overhaul. And I think it's a really brilliant way of showing maybe where a man might be, but, and I'm really interested. I think preventive maintenance, you know, it's got a lot of really just solid common sense things for men about getting rest and making sure they're eating, you know, the right foods or making sure they're hydrated and then breakdown, you know, we kind of can, we kind of know what that would be. The troubleshooting section is what's really curious to me or interesting because I think men would like to be able to troubleshoot this, right? They they like to troubleshoot their cars. Yeah. And then so what would be what would be maybe a mode or a way of seeing their own mental health from a troubleshooting perspective where they might say, "Hey, you know, are are the are the lights going on on the dash and if so, what does that mean and how do I know?" You know, I think this is a really interesting conversation because a lot of men maybe slip from Maybe they're not doing preventive maintenance. The trouble lights 
the idiot lights, so to speak, yeah. have been going off, <laughs> yeah. but they're not paying attention and they're heading towards breakdown, overhaul and major repair. Um, that, that kind of middle, how do we know, how do, how do men know that the lights have gone on? What are some of the signs that they might notice? Well, uh, drug, and al- drug and alcohol issues, you know, substance abuse disorders, oftentimes don't happen overnight. And I think in the book, I relate it to the brakes on the car. Mm-hmm. You're driving along and, you know, you notice that the brakes are squeaking a little bit, mm-hmm. which means that there's a little bit of metal on metal, but you ignore it. And then it gets a little louder and maybe a little louder. And in terms of substance abuse, you know, first it's a couple of beers on the weekend to relax. And then it's, you know, it's a couple of beers a night and the trouble signs, you know, your girlfriend decides she's had enough mm-hmm. of your drinking and leaves you. So that's kind of like the brakes week. And then your employer says, look, um, you actually came in yesterday hungover. This can't continue. Another squeak of the brakes. And if you keep ignoring these things, you know, then you lose your job. Now the brakes are squeaking a lot louder. Mm-hmm. because the couple of beers has become a six pack. The six pack has become, you know, six pack and some weed. Yep. And over time, the, the, the sound of the brakes metal on metal gets louder and louder and louder until one day when you push your foot, put your foot on the brakes, the pedal goes all the way to the floor with no resistance. The mm-hmm. brakes are gone. And so, and you're headed into who knows what, and that's kind of the way it is with, substance abuse disorders the day comes when you you know you you try to put the brakes on it and you can't stop yeah and you crash and burn and so that's 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 yeah my sister famous i said i said jane um the car engine it locked up didn't the didn't the check didn't the oil light come on she goes yeah yeah that's what they make um electrical tape for (laughs) covered up the light (laughs) That's funny. And of course, you know, when it ran out of oil, uh, the engine locked up. And I remember when I was, I knew nothing about car maintenance in college. Had a little Honda Civic, one of the little tiny ones you could drive on the sidewalk. And I drove it and drove it and drove it and drove it. And finally, I was driving across the country, see my girlfriend in Arizona, and it locked up. And the guy who was working on it goes, when's the last time you changed the oil in this thing? And I said, change the oil? What's wrong with the oil that came in it? <laughs> oh my God. That's funny. That's yeah. So funny. Yeah, that, that's the idea behind, um, you know, troubleshooting. You, you need to need to pay attention to the signs that trouble has begun, you know, and it's, it's when it, it eventually gets out of hand, whether it's a gambling addiction or porno, porno addiction, or, you know, a, a substance abuse disorder. I mean, there are signs like your car. I don't know if you, about you, but I, I kind of, Tony, I kind of keep car by ear. Mm-hmm. I get in the car and I crank it and I think, wait a minute, that sound wasn't there yesterday. I think the muffler's loose. And sure enough, crawl back under there and you know, it slipped off some kind of rubber gasket thing and it's, it's banging around back there. So yeah, you need to, with your brain and your, and your mental health, you need to pay attention to those signs. I think there's also a, one thing you see Totally true on the substance abuse. I mean, I quit drinking, God, how long has it been now? Seven and a half, eight years ago, because my the lights on my dash were going off around that, right? It was like, am I going to keep going and ignore this or, or deal with this? But one of the areas that I see that is trouble for men sometimes is just some men will not go to the doctor. 
Like, you know, I know I have guys that I know that are well into their fifties and it's been 10 years since they've even had a checkup Yep, and, and they're just, and they might be getting warning signs on their dashboard, but that's not sending them to the doctor to make sure their prostate's good or to get a colon, you know, their colonoscopy or whatever. They're not doing the basic stuff and they're just hoping that the car doesn't break down. And meanwhile, there's a lot of troubling signs. Like had they, if they go to the doctor, they might get some blood work and find out, uh Oh, you know, I, not, things are really not good under the hood at all for me, but I've just been in total denial about my own health. So I'm, I'm seeing a portion of the male population doesn't really want to deal with the facts about what's going on with their basic health, their blood work, their, their numbers, their prostate, just the stuff that you got to have past a certain age. You got to get checkups to find out what the heck's going on, right? Yes, the gentleman who wrote the forward for the first book, Paul Gwinnett, is a psychologist, and yeah. he specialized in suicidal men. Mm. And he said the same thing, and I've said it many times, that men don't just ignore their mental health. They ignore yeah. their physical health and they they wait too long when they get a lump of their testicle. They don't get the PSA. They don't get the colonoscopy. And I've had friends in their fifties pass away from prostate or colon cancer, which by the way, both of those are, are eminently curable if you catch them early. Absolutely. But they don't do anything until they got this pain in their back. Yep. You know, it just gets, and it turns out, you know, it's gotten into their bones and, you know, at that point it's bye-bye. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that's that's a sort of male toxicity. Big boys don't cry. We don't, uh, you know, we just march ahead. And, and especially I'm from the South. That's really oh. it's very much very prevalent in the South. Well, you you mentioned in your book, too, that, you know, we were sort of raised on be a sturdy oak. You mentioned yeah. that. It's just like that just fucks us up later on. It's like <laughs> be a sturdy oak. It's one it's one thing to tell a young boy or a, an emerging man, you know, be a sturdy oak. But, you know, when you get into your later years, even your, your 40s, 50s, things are breaking down and the be a sturdy oak sends this message like you're not supposed to actually talk about what's going on. You're not supposed to identify things, challenges that you're facing. And then men don't get the checkup. They don't, they don't get the help because it's like considered weak. You're not being a sturdy oak if I reach out and get help with my drinking or, or get a checkup because I have a sense something's not quite right in my body, you know, and it, it's, it's toxic to have that as your, as your narrative as a man. Yes. And again, in the South, it's, it's, I think it's even worse because mm -hmm. Southern males tend to, you know, I'm rough and tough. The good news good. is Tony that because I'm willing to go on stage and talk about, you know, putting a gun in my mouth and my mm -hmm. mental illness, and I get a little choked up at some of my stories, so I, you know, I'm vulnerable. It's so it's rare to see a man do that, that it has a certain, that vulnerability has a certain power to, to give people, other people in the audience, permission to give voice to their feelings and experiences without recrimination. Yeah, they can say, well, you know what Frank said, that's I've, I've got that. I, I, you know, I so I guess that that's the upside is because so few men are willing to to talk about or speak like that out loud. Yeah, um, it's rare to see somebody and I'm not and somebody who's not a clinician who's, you know, who's been educated in that way. And it gives your speaking a power because it's authentic and it speaks to, you know, this this 
reality that men don't have everything handled. It's okay because that's, you know, most, most men I know struggle with all sorts of shit, right? It's, it's normal. And so anybody that's had issues with substances, it's, it's funny. I, I was reading over your stuff and to me, one of the things that jumped out, it's shocking to me that there'll be a man who's having suicidal thoughts yet he still doesn't think that there's any warning lights that are going off. He still doesn't connect the dots that there's something with his mental health that's not right because it's not healthy to consider suicide, right? Yeah, and Dr. Paul Gwinnett said the problem there is, you know, man gets depressed and that normally it often presents as, as anger and irritability. Yeah. And he says when men get depressed, they rarely have the thought, gosh, I'm depressed. I should see a psychologist. Mm-hmm. Uh, he treats, by the way, almost exclusively suicidal men. Mm-hmm. And he says, because a lot of psychologists and psychiatrists don't want to treat a suicidal man because they're afraid he'll kill himself and the family will sue. Yep. And he says, oftentimes, the only reason they're sitting across from him is because something, it's come to a crossroads where the spouse or significant other said, look, you get help or I'm gone. Or the employer yeah. says, look, you get help or you're, you know, late one more Monday morning, you're fired. So it's, it almost takes a crisis. Mm-hmm. By the same token, men who have committed to that, they're all in. Oh yeah, they, they you know if they've gotten that far, chances are they will they will be in recovery from that point forward. Yeah, but you have to get them there first. What, what, what's your what would be your coaching based on your own experience? What would be your coaching since you're somebody that's traveled from you know rocky waters um, to health? Right? What what would be your coaching if a man was like? I'm buried in suicidal thoughts. I don't really have anything to live for. And I'm, you know, I'm, I do, I want to do it and I don't want to do it. I don't know what to do. And I don't have anybody around me that I can talk to because, because I grew up as a sturdy Oak, let's say, (laughs) you know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm not going to reach out to my best friend because I don't know how to talk to him this way. This is too raw and it's too truthful and he's not going to know how to handle this. Um, You know, what, what is a pathway back to, you know, living again, where you're, where you're not being haunted by this, this despair that, that is going to follow you. Well, short of reaching out for a mental health evaluation, which is mm-hmm. what I recommend, just get evaluated, just find yeah. out if it's depression, is it, and I, I always recommend, and also get a full, I mean, a full on physical. Yep. Because I had a friend here in Eugene who was depressed, all the, all the classic symptoms of major depressive disorder. And he had yep. a physical and turned out he was anemic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he wasn't processing. It doesn't happen very often, but it does yeah. happen. Yeah. And once you're evaluated, if medication is indicated, then I suggest you take the cheek swab DNA test and they, they match your DNA to the antidepressant that would work best with your metabolism. So there's a lot less experimentation going on tapering off. Yep. Yep. Also, there are now groups of men. The problem for men, oftentimes women tend to collect friends through life and men tend to shed them. Yep. Because, you know, they're in scouts, they're in sports, they're in the army, um, but they tend to, the higher, you know, the longer they go, the fewer close friends they have. So in the book, it recommends that whatever it is, you know, you you need to find a tribe. Yep. And if you like working on cars, maybe it's a car club or, or you like to hunt a hunting club or deer, ducks unlimited or. And now there are groups um, this, in Australia, they started the Shed Project. Mm. Shed in Australia is a garage. Yep. 
And they found that if you took two men and you put them under the hood of a car and they're not looking each other in the eye, they can talk about real things. Mm. Um, a friend of mine said, yeah, you know, when I'm fishing with my dad or in the boat or facing opposite directions, that's when we talk about things that matter. Yeah. So the Shed Project went from Australia to Europe and now in the U.S. there are chapters. And for African-Americans, there's something called the Barbershop Project because barbershops have been a place of, of safety for African-Americans for decades. Absolutely. Again, the barber yep. standing behind you, you're not looking them in the eye, and, they, and they're training barbers to in, in mental health first aid so they can they know how to handle those conversations. So, mm-hmm. And the VA, and the VA, um, Veterans of Foreign Wars, VFW, uh, you know, each every one of those places has a bar and generally have dart boards and dart teams and dart tournaments. And they, they found that if two guys are staring down, you know, toward the dart board mm-hmm. and throwing darts and not looking each other in the eye, again, they can talk about things that that matter. So you need to put men in a situation. Oh, and I didn't know this, Tony. A friend of mine's in AA. Mm-hmm. He's in a stag club. Ah. Which is all men. That's great. And they have stag clubs for women. And they found that men are more forthcoming when there's not a woman in the room. And women are more forthcoming when there's not a man in the room. Absolutely. That makes sense to me. So yeah. that you need to put them, I think, in a position where, you know, that they feel comfortable coming forward. And every time I speak, I say to the audience, look, if you're suicidal, call the Suicide Prevention Lifeline or text help to, to 741741. Mm-hmm. If you're just having a really bad day, Call a crazy person, and here's my phone number. <laughs> That's good. Well, Frank, thanks so much for coming on and sharing your insights. It's been awesome. Um, are there any uh, creative projects or anything you'd like to our listeners to know? You're coaching uh, TED Talks, is that right? Yeah, coaching TEDx Talks. I have five of them, <laughs> and my business coach goes, Frank, I know you're coaching people on TEDx Talks. Getting TEDx Talks are free, and that's got to stop. Mm. So I built a website. Uh, you know, I, and now I coach people to get to, and and you know, if you're an author, you have a book you want to talk about, or you're you have a particular cause or charity you want to, you know, you can't pitch from the stage, but you can talk about your book or your charity or a speaker. You know, if you have something you're passionate about, it's a great makes a great demo. Yeah. So that's that's generally the kind of people that I coach um, for TEDx talks, and I'm I'm still applying myself for additional all on mental health. Because mm-hmm. uh, it gives there's some cachet to that. Um, Absolutely. And then you've got. Do you have another uh, volume of the of the guts, grit, and grind coming out? Did you say that's there's two more volumes? There's four total. Or yes, it's the, the second one, the, the uh, preventive maintenance, I think, came out about a month ago. Okay. That's and that's um, first time we did it self published, no PR person. Mm-hmm. That went okay. Second time we got a publisher and a PR person, and, and lo and behold, <laughs> the first volume. Became a bestseller on Amazon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And each one is sort of is twelve stories, twelve men. Each one has a different struggle. Not all are mental health struggles. You know, dealing with um, an aging parent who is slipping mentally, or yeah, special needs child, or was involved in a horrible accident. You know, mm-hmm. that changed their lives. It's sort of like chicken soup for the tortured man's soul. Yep. Yep. And 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 wrapped around the stories is clinical advice and references and exercises and so it's a we wanted it to be a manual because you know guys like manuals of course and the idea is that like the Haynes automobile repair manual you know you don't read that thing cover to cover right if you're having carburetor problems you turn to the index you find the page carburetor and you so we hope that guys will 
you know, find the index, find their problem, read out another guy. Cause guys take advice from guys. Of course. Yep. They do. Yeah. So we're just hoping, you know, and we think that we're going to sell more to women who have a man in their life who has one of these issues and they have absolutely no idea how to help. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you might, I mean, I'm surprised at how many women listen to my show Basecamp for men. I mean, it's really meant for men, but there's plenty of women that listen because they want some insights on what's going on with their guys, with their husbands or partners or brothers or whatever. So yeah, I mean, women are smart. They, they want to know what the heck's going on. Right. So, well, and here's the thing we surveyed men and asked them what their problems were major problems, top 10 or whatever. We surveyed women. What do you think men's problems are? The lists were relatively the same, although the order was different. Mm. Okay. And then we asked men what kind of help they wanted from a woman and asked women what kind of help they thought they should offer their man. And the lists were completely different. Ah, That was part of the impetus that was for the book was the fact that women, women needed to you know the teacher's manual version of how to raise a man. <laughs> right. Right. All the answers in the back. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Well, Frank, thanks so much for coming on. Come back again and talk to us anytime, especially when you got another book coming out. And uh, good luck with the TEDx coaching and all that stuff. And thanks again, man. Appreciate it. Tony, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Nice to be here at Base Camp. You bet. I love how authentic Frank is. We need more men in the world that can speak truth to men in mental health, especially ones that have been down in the darkness, found their way back to the light, and commit to helping others do the same. For more information on Frank or to hire him to do one of his excellent funny talks on mental health, go to www.thementalhealthcomedian.com. If you are a man that's having suicidal thoughts, please, please reach out for help. It is courageous to hang in there and write a new chapter in your journey. The National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 1-800-273-8255. That's our show for today. Men, remember that the story of your life is not yet all told. I'm Tony Rezac, and thank you for listening to Basecamp for Men.